Well, amen and amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. Thank you, choir, so much. And all of you worshipers in your singing this morning, thank you. And that's our, the journey we're on this, uh, these days as I preach uh, regarding uh, the coming of Easter and the Passion Week. Um, we're coming to that time uh, where he proves himself to be Lord of all when he rises from the grave on Easter Sunday that third Sunday over into April, and I began just a couple of weeks ago this series of sermons following through the Passion Week. We looked last week at uh, uh, Sunday, the, what we call Palm Sunday, uh, and today uh, we won't do this uh, much, if any, going forward, but we're going to touch a little bit on Monday and Tuesday uh, with the text that I've chosen, an event I've chosen in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see that as we move along. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for your prayers for us. We so pray for you. Uh, we've learned to love you so very much in these days. I appreciate uh, you and your heart for the Lord and the heart for the Word. Uh, stay faithful. Stay at it. Uh, keep your passion for the things of Jesus. Um, I love the Lord and love your church. It's, uh, it's always worthwhile. By this shall... All men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Amen? Love each other and move forward. We're in Mark chapter 11 this morning, uh, and uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 12, and we're going to read on through verse 25. So if you'll find uh, that passage, and we'll consider this topic this morning, nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. But Mark chapter 11, verse 12, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? You'll follow in your copy of Scripture. <clears throat> I hope you bring your Bibles so you'll know I'm preaching from the Bible and God will speak to you in a special way. But we'll read beginning at verse 12. It says, on the morrow, that means the next day after Sunday, the Palm Sunday, uh, after the first day of the week when he entered the city on the morrow, in other words, Monday morning, on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying to, unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out 
of the city. And in the morning, now we're at Tuesday. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he hath shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Father, um, with um, <clears throat> absolute trust and confidence in you and your word, I speak to these your people. I speak to the people gathered to, who uh, took opportunity uh, to come to a place of worship, to be with Christian people, be around the word, and be involved in Christian song. Father, I come trusting you to speak. Father, I believe that your word in itself always brings a message. I thank you that you've allowed me to be your preacher, pastor, teacher through the years. Um, but I stand yielded to you. I must decrease that the Lord Jesus Christ would increase. Um, may it be so. May the word go forth with power and strength and life-changing message. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. You may be seated. My title, Nothing But Leaves. I attended a seminary in Memphis, Tennessee called Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, and I, I took interest when Kevin Ham started, began to give an illustration during the Bible conference. Some of you may remember about his days in seminary. And it didn't take me but a few moments to realize that he attended the same place that I did in Memphis, Tennessee, although at least 10 years after I attended there, uh, you know, he, it just took him a, long a whole much longer time to get out of college, I think. No, it was, it's an age difference, but as I listened to him, it was very interesting. And then we sat, on, sat next to each other during the conference and, and shared so many memories and so many things. But he and I also had the opportunity to, to attend the same building. What's interesting about our seminary, it met in at least five different buildings through the years until today. It sit, probably sits in its last and permanent setting. But the, the building that we attended originally belonged 
to the Jews. As a matter of fact, it would be considered the Jewish synagogue in downtown Memphis, just a block away from Bellevue Baptist Church. It was one time a a Jewish synagogue that taught the Hebrew Bible, and it also was a Hebrew school for those who came to study, who intended to go out and become priests. It was an interesting building. It was a beautiful building that had pews almost exactly like the pews that you sit on here, except on the end of the seats, on the end, on the side of every seat, there wasn't a cross. Uh, there wasn't an image of Jesus on the end of every pew. You know, know what was there? The star of David. Uh, it's interesting to see that. But there was another thing. The, the main chapel, the main auditorium had stained glass everywhere. Now, the little churches that I grew up in as a boy, we didn't have stained glass. Well, it was stained, but it's, uh, but it, <laughs> but it wasn't these glorious, beautiful uh, windows that you see in so many churches that are so ornate, where you see the Lord Jesus Christ maybe praying in Gethsemane, or see Him as the good shepherd with the sheep around Him, or maybe the children gathering around Him, whatnot. There was, as a matter of fact, there was only one image. Are you ready? One image on all of the stained glass. And it, it wasn't just the windows on the side, but there was this huge, beautiful dome over the center of the building, and the same image was on that glass. And you know what it was? It was the image of a vine. Because you see, Israel was always meant to be God's vine. It says in Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 through 11, Thou thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room for it, and did cause it to take root. And it filled the land. Listen to this. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs unto the sea and her branches unto the river. God from the beginning meant Israel be a vine that penetrated the earth, that went from sea to sea, land to land, continent to continent, meant the message of Jehovah God to spread through the world. But the vine ended up bearing no fruit. They ended up with, are you ready? Nothing but leaves. Of course, the figure in this passage is not the vine, but it was a fig tree. Not bearing any fruit at all. What kind of fruit? Spiritual fruit. John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance. The fruit of repentance. Jesus came preaching a message of repentance and righteousness. The fruit of righteousness. Jesus came preaching a message of relationship. Knowing God. Being born again. Becoming a child of God. The fruits of repentance, righteousness, and a relationship with God. But increasingly, Israel would not be that tree of bearing fruits of righteousness. And Jesus, in just days forward, are going to tell his disciples, 
It's a new day. He said, I'm, watch this, I'm going to be the vine, but you're going to be the branches, and you're going to bear fruit. John chapter 15, he told his disciples, I am the true vine. Not Israel. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and he, that he may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Jesus is the vine. He will bear fruit through his branches, his disciples. Now, folks, three and a half years of ministry have gone by for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is at the time, he is in the days he lived for. And as he comes to this place, he begins to have this deep desire to trans for this message into his disciples' hearts. He said, you know, my people, Israel, the God's people, the people of Jehovah God that he brought out of Egypt and, meant, and planted them in the promised land and meant them to grow around the world, they missed it. They did not bear fruit. He says, but I tell you what, it's time for me to have disciples who will bear fruit to be something more than just leaves in this world. Be something more than just a little green that professes something and produces nothing. He had a heart here on this day in the Passion Week to talk to his disciples about making sure they become something and never be nothing but leaves. Jesus is looking for real faith. And to get across this message about real faith, he uses this fig tree in the story. Now, you saw with me, didn't you? After Palm Sunday, he and the disciples head out from Bethany, Bethpage, wherever they were. We were not told exactly where they were, but they take off again that short distance toward Jerusalem. And on the way, on Monday morning, they see this tree. It only has leaves, no fruit. Jesus curses that tree. Then once again on Tuesday morning, they get up and they pass the tree again. And there it is, dried up from its roots. Now, I want to take this, these two mornings, this story, this morning with you, and talk to you about Avoiding at all cost becoming a, a person that's nothing but leaves. And avoid church at all cost being a church that's nothing but leaves. 
just spiritual form and presentation, but having nothing real, deep, certain, and eternal without having true faith in God. Avoid at all costs becoming nothing but leaves. And I got an interesting outline, I guess. Um, it's just kind of simple as we go through here. Uh, here. Here's my first point. Are you ready? Jesus was hungry. Anybody hungry here this morning? I've already heard my stomach growl. Um, uh, you sitting in choir or sitting on the pew. Some of you here already this morning heard your stomach growl. You either moved a little further away from the person close by you. You grabbed your stomach or whatnot. Well, you know, Jesus was hungry. That in itself is a reminder of his humanity, his likeness to us. Jesus became one of us. He was hungry. Uh, I don't know exactly why. It kind of leads me to believe he didn't stay at Lazarus' house the night before because Martha would have put on the meal, wouldn't she? I mean, I mean, he'd had, he'd had plenty, and not only the night before, but, but that morning, surely he'd had a big breakfast. I mean, beat Cracker Barrel at Martha's house. But he, he was hungry. So we don't know what, where he was. We don't know if he stayed at another house. Maybe he spent the whole night on the Mount of Olives praying for this week ahead of him. But his hunger was unsatisfied. And what happened, it gave him an occasion to teach. You do know as you thumb your way through the Gospels that so much of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ came in this week. And he begins here teaching again. Everything following this point on Monday morning from the cursing of the tree and Tuesday morning and when, they, when he starts his lessons on it, everything is about teaching. We saw him going to the temple. And he says, this place is supposed to be the house of prayer. And he cleaned house in there. He's teaching, teaching, teaching. And this morning, Tuesday morning, I'm convinced the teaching sprang from the thing that was most on his heart and on his mind. It wasn't his hunger pains. What was on his mind was spiritual hunger. He had come among Israel, and they were not spiritually hungry. You know, it is a death knell to walk into a church that's not spiritually hungry. You, I mean, we, we, we so often, preachers, and all of us will tell stories or make jokes about dry and dead churches. But folks, can I tell you something? And I may be tempted to do it to kind of get your attention from time to time. But the truth is, there's nothing funny about a dead church. There's nothing funny about a church that's nothing but leaves. Got all the show, got all the presentation, but doesn't have real faith because they don't have spiritual hunger. Hunger for repentance. Hunger for righteousness. Hunger for the fruit of the Spirit. Hunger for answered prayer. Hungry for all the people to bear fruit and not just produce leaves. Jesus was hungry and he found this opportunity to talk about spiritual hunger. 
Physical hunger was an image that Jesus used to teach us about spiritual hunger. You remember the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? For they shall be filled. He knew that you and I can identify with and understand hunger. You can. can. Any of you ever been physically hungry? I talked about your stomach growling a moment ago. Have you ever been physically hungry? Uh, Beside your stomach growling? Barney Fife said he had a clock in his stomach. Him and his mama both. Um, You got a clock in your stomach? It goes off? Says, yeah, Brother Kenny, it goes off at quarter to 12. You better be done. Um, um, Some people say, I get a headache. I know, I know my wife. She, she, and this is not, a, I'm not throwing off on my wife. She's not my king, king size illustration. Uh, but she, she seriously begins to get a headache when she's hungry. Some of you uh, begin to, a serious heartburn uh, when you don't, you, you get hungry. I mean, I'm asking you, any of you ever been hungry? Do you know the signs? I've seen, Folks at my house, when they're really hungry, uh, when they're called to the table, they get there. You know, you, you know the kids, the, how they drag to the table. Sometimes, it's time to eat, time to eat, supper's on the table. But if they're hungry, you don't have to call them but once. They're hungry. They're hungry. Jesus lived for the day that people who professed faith People of faith would be fruitful, and to be fruitful, it begins with spiritual hunger. I so desire something from God. Are you hungry and thirsty for the things of God? Jesus wanted to teach about that this day. If you're not hungry, now let's get to a point. Israel wasn't hungry, they were not fruitful. They were nothing but leaves. I'm convinced this is what Jesus was talking about. If you're not hungry, why not? If if you're not hungry, what about if you're not physically hungry, why not? Well, if I'm not physically hungry, it means I'm probably full. What are you full of? If you're not physically hungry, I can tell you the reason you would, would not be physically hungry. You're dead. I, not one dead person in this church is inviting me out to lunch. Dead people don't eat, right? So I would assume dead people don't get hungry physically and they're not hungry. Watch this for the things of God, are they? Another reason people aren't hungry, often is they're, they're sick. I had my days of sickness and several heart surgeries, a um, couple of strokes and whatnot that God allowed me a journey to go through. And I, I spent more time in Vanderbilt Hospital than I, than I want to, that I can talk about. And I'll never forget when they finally let us go on Christmas Eve. I, we, that, we were just we got to get out of here by Christmas. Got to get out of here by Christmas. And we did. We got out Christmas Eve. Um, 
And, that, and, I, and I have to tell you, folks, that I, that I appreciate Vanderbilt Hospital. You can talk about all your hospitals and whatnot. I've, I've had some of the best doctors. Diane and I will agree. We, we had some of, the, I, some of the greatest nurses. I mean, they were so good and so, so attentive and whatnot. But I'll also tell you this. The food at Vanderbilt, can I say it in French? It was garbage. I don't know who the, ran the, the, the dietitian. But I, hey, if, if you work in the cafeteria section of Vanderbilt, just, I just say God bless you and carry on. I did despise the food, despise the food. But there was another reason I didn't do so well with food. You ever notice if you're really sick, you, you lose your appetite? You know, I just don't feel like eating. Uh, my little granddaughter's had some kind of stomach thing. We had a special event with her yesterday, and that little girl, she, she just wouldn't eat. She just wouldn't eat her lunch. She, she was sick. I wonder how many professing Christians are not hungry for the things of God because you're just sick. You know, uh, often being backslidden is, is what it means. You've been somewhere, and now you're backslidden. Being backslidden doesn't mean you're dead, doesn't mean you're without Christ, but backslidden sure means you're sick. You're not on top of your game. You're not where you should be spiritually. Just like when we're sick, we're not where we should be physically. Amen? So we can lose our appetite because we're full of something we shouldn't be full of. We can lose our appetite or not have an appetite simply because we're dead or sick. And I'll tell you another way. I, say, I lose my appetite when I get pre, terribly preoccupied. You, you follow what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever been so busy that you missed a meal and you didn't really realize you missed the meal? Somebody said, not me, Brother Ken. I got, I got a candy bar in my pocket. No, most of you understand what I'm saying. You can be so busy, so at something, you work right through. But the terrible thing is, you can be preoccupied even with good things and lose your hunger for the things of God. Jesus was hungry. Brother Ken, I don't see myself hungry like I once was. What do I do? Well, I think you need anybody that loses their appetite. I think the doctor would tell you, work on your physical health. This preacher's going to tell you, work on your spiritual health. Work on your spiritual health because if you're alive, if you're saved, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, God can bring back that hunger. He can bring back your appetite for the things of God. Cultivate it. Work on your spiritual health. Repent that you're not hungry. Can I tell you something? If you're not hungry, you're in sin. You're, I mean, not to have a passion for the things of God. God, bring back my hunger. Bring back my appetite. You need to repent and then make some better choices in your spiritual life. And we need to do those things we know about. We need to pray, read our Bibles, go to church. I'm telling you, when you've lost your appetite, you, you lose your appetite for prayer and Bible study, don't you? 
You say, brother, and that's the reason it just kills me when I talk to people about getting back on track, walking with the Lord, and they say, you know, I just don't feel like praying. Well, can a saved person say that? I don't always know. But I'm going to tell you something. You better not wait till you feel like praying. You better start praying. As a matter of fact, if you don't feel like praying, you better get to praying. Stephen Olford, I call him one of the dinosaurs. You know what I mean about dinosaurs when I talk about preachers? I'm talking about old-time Bible preachers that seem to be passing away. But Stephen Olford, one of the great Baptist preachers of all time, I heard him at a conference one time. He says, you better not talk to me about I don't feel like preaching. He's praying. He says, you better pray when you feel like it. You better pray when you don't feel like it. You better pray till you do feel like it. Bring back that appetite. Pray till you have another encounter with the living God. Pray. Read your Bible. Go to worship. And go to worship. Uh, you know one of the best ways to... Hey, is this just the first point? Um, well, I got all... You know, this, I'm, I'm, I got the Tuesday. I can combine some other days along the way. Uh, do you know what I found out about physical appetite? I mean, physical hunger is when I get around some good cooking, I get hungry. Walk into mama's house or grandma's house on Thanksgiving morning. All that mixture of smells. That turkey is just a bacon. Rolls are in the oven. That pecan pie is just dancing on the counter. And grandma says, we're going to eat around too. Said, that ain't going to work for me. <laughs> you better give me a roll and a piece of ham right now if you think I'm going to hold out to then. Amen. Amen. Get around some good cooking. What am I talking about in the spiritual realm? You want to increase your appetite? You want to get hungry for God? Go to worship services. Go to a church where the Bible is preached. There's fire in the bones of the preacher. And it's good cooking. Go where you can eat something that will grow you in Christ. Amen. And can I say something to you? I'm obviously not going to be around here all that long. Whatever long it is. Uh, but I say this to you. Make sure whoever prepares the meals in this place, it's good cooking. That keeps your appetite high. Amen? You get around some good... That's the reason that Bible conference was so good. That, you know, because those, they knew how to, to set it up, fix it up and feed it, give it out, didn't they? Get around some good cooking. You don't just get it. You don't just get it. It's your church. Listen to the right people on the radio or on the television. Read good books. Get around some good cooking, and God will increase your appetite. That's my first, that was just the first point. Jesus was hungry. Are you hungry for the things of God? Number two, Jesus knew you don't eat the leaves on a fruit tree unless you're a fruitcake. says in verse 13, And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, it happily it might find anything of their own. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of the figs was not yet. One of the prettiest trees in my yard is a pecan tree. 
several years ago, several years ago, I talked to a man and said, I, I, want some, I want a pecan tree. I want some pecan. And he got me a couple, and, and, and he and I planted them and whatnot. Uh, and they began to grow. About after a year, the smallest one kind of got scrawny, and it died off on me. But the other one was really nice, and it was good size. And it grew year after year. It's one of the prettiest, greenest, most beautifully shaped Trees in my yard. It sits right at the back of our lot, and I look out my back window and it says, That is, <laughs> I'll sit on my back porch. I just love that tree. But I noticed after a couple of three years, uh, it didn't have any pecans on it. I said, I know, well, I know the, the shock of replanting. And I, yeah, I went all through this, but it went two years, three years. And I finally talked to somebody that had a, just about this much common sense. I said, Brother Ken, you only have one tree out there. They have to cross-pollinate. I, I don't even know what that means. I, I, I still don't know if I know what it means. I just know I had to buy another pecan tree and put it in. And after a couple of years, the, the pecans started to come and whatnot. But that beautiful tree, it was so beautiful, but, but it didn't have any pecans. I, I wanted one because I wanted a, a pecan tree. I wanted some, and it didn't have any fruit on it. This tree that Jesus saw, this fig tree, it wasn't barren because it, it had leaves. It had life in it, supposedly, but it had no fruit. It was... My, making all these claims to be a fig tree, but it didn't have any figs. Closer you got to it, you realized that all it had was leaves, no fruit. You know, Christian, it doesn't matter how good you look. Now, let me say it this way. It doesn't matter how much you look like a Christian. It doesn't matter how much this place looks like a church. It doesn't matter how much you do that appears to be Christian. What matters only is fruitfulness, fruits of righteousness, repentance, faith in God. How much your life produces real fruit. Israel had all the leaves, folks. That's what this story is about. Israel had all the leaves, but it was a facade and a farce. They had the temple, they had the priests, they had the scribes, they had the law, and they'd figured out what part of the law they really could do. And, they, and if, they, if they couldn't follow the law, they figured out ways to get around it. But they had the law. They had their festivals. This was the week of the Passover festival. And uh, they, they had all of this this great deal of public show, but all of it was leaves. The closer you got to them, you found out they had no fruit. What do people find out the closer they get to Hillcrest Baptist Church? When they really, they get in the choir, they get in a committee meeting, they get in a class, they get in a fellowship. The closer they get, what do they find? Do they find there's nothing but leaves? Or do they see the fruits of righteousness? You listening to me? This is true stuff. This is the real stuff. Jesus cursed that tree. And he turned his back on Israel. And they wasted away. Let me ask you. Is any way possible that your life is... Is a professing Christian is nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. 
God can't eat the leaves. He's looking for fruit. I'm so torn up about so many of the mainline denominations. I am thankful that our Methodist friends finally took their stand about uh, gay pastors and gay marriages in their church. You pray for them. But you read all the articles, folks. You know how that passed in their general congress? It was from, because of the people overseas. Read. I challenge you. Go to the New York Times. Go to CNN. Go to Fox News. Somebody said, don't read any of those. Go to Fox News. You'll find out that that passed because of those in the African nations, the third world countries. It wasn't because of these cockeyed professors here in the United States in their colleges and universities that still stand with this fakeate, this phoniness, this bunch of leaves and not any real biblical faith. Do you hear me? But thank God they took their stand. But it's a heartache to see mainline denominations wasting away at the roots. Hey, Baptists, don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. But there's other ways that it, nothing but leaves, leaves that Jesus can't eat. He's looking for fruit. I tell you what troubles me in the church today. There's just so many, are you ready for this? Adulterous men. Uh, Jesus said if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery already. And I, only, I know this because I'm a pastor and I do so much counseling and whatnot. And, uh, and I appreciate the fact that a man will finally come in, finally want to get right, says I want to win my family back and my wife. But I tell you what really rocks my world is when it's only the wife coming and says, he's walked away from us. He's left us. He left us. He left me, the children, the grandchildren. He lost his job. He's left everything for another woman. I've heard this story about deacons, pastors. How many people, listen to me this morning, mister, don't walk around with the phoniness, the fakeade, just the presence of calling yourself Christian. You better make sure in your heart you're right with God. You know God. You seek for purity. And if you're having struggles with this stuff, you go to another man. You go to your pastor. You go to somebody you can repent and say, hold me in check. Make me be accountable to you. I want to walk with God. I'm telling you, the church is in a crisis of men that come to church every Sunday, serve on every committee, digging boards and preaching the pulpits, and they're walking away on the, during the week and spending time with other women besides their wives. Brother Ken, how did you get this out of this fruit tree this morning? I call it nothing but leaves. I got to move from here. I don't have any time. Third point. Jesus got fed up with the fruitfulness. Can I say, use that phrase that Jesus got fed up? Is that all right? He did. He looked at that tree and said, cursed. Hey, you'll never bear fruit again. You're cursed. What happened in verse 14? What happened? It says, and Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Did he just lose it? 
Is he like one of my grandchildren looking for an app on my cell phone? Uh, my iPhone? And when they can't get it or can't get it work, they just curse this thing. No, but I can tell you what happened, what Jesus is trying to teach us. There's an end to the patience of God. There will be an end to the day of grace. There was an end to God's patience with Israel as a nation. This was a demonstration of God's great power. There are at least 18 miracles in the book of Mark. This is the last one outside of the resurrection. And it's, it, is, it is a miracle of destruction. As I move toward the closing, um, do you remember when Jesus went into the synagogue and he opened the book of Isaiah and he read from Isaiah 61, he read this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You know that passage. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty they that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But you remember that, don't you? But did he read all of the passage in Isaiah? He did not. He stopped just before this phrase. Are you ready? And the day of vengeance of our God. See, the first time he came, he came as that Savior, that suffering servant. But the next time he comes, he comes to administer the wrath and the vengeance of God. God runs out of patience. Jesus' day of grace will end. God, Jesus was so patient with, with those that abused him and accused him in his day, far more than you and I would have been. Would you have ever put up with, the, with what they did to Jesus? You wouldn't. You'd at least run away, wouldn't you? I would. But he patiently took it because it was his calling, it was his days. In a heartbeat, he could have called the angels to bring judgment on the people, but he didn't. But one day, the judgment of God will come on fruitless trees and they will wither away at the roots. It happened to Israel in 70 AD and I tell you one day in the church judgment will come to the house of God. Judgment will come to those places that are nothing but leaves and those that have stiffened their neck before God that he has reproved over and over again. He will bring his judgment on them. Last point in closing. Jesus taught that fruitfulness is actually rooted in real faith. You know, the next day, Tuesday morning, they come by, and Peter said, the tree, it's dried up at the roots. It's dried up at the roots. Jesus, Jesus didn't go into any uh, explanation of botany or, or anything else about what happened to that tree. He just said one thing, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Why, folks? Because Israel as a nation did not have faith in God. Why faith in God? It was because, watch this, 
Israel had put all their faith in the leaves, in the temple, in the priest, in the Pharisees, in the Sadducees, that they had the law, but they didn't have faith in God. As I close today, can I remind you of something? I'm not challenging you to have faith in yourself. And what I mean by that, I'm not challenging you. You just believe as hard as you can and it'll come true. That's what some of these cockeyed preachers are telling people. You just believe, you just believe real hard. You just expect God. You just sow a seed uh, and have faith in that seed. You better have faith in God. His will, His way, His wisdom, His word. Have faith in God, not in the leaves. And Hillcrest Baptist Church, can I tell you something else? Be careful about your faith in preachers. Israel failed because they had all their faith in the temple and in the priest. I pray God gives you a pastor you'll always trust, confide in, love, support, listen to. Yearn to know more and more. But you better be careful. He better be a far, far second to your faith in God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Oh, I got to finish. Have I said that yet? Let me read you a little bit about real faith and we're done. Verse 23. Very last saying to you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain... Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he hath shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. What is Jesus saying? He says, don't you ever forget that my God is in charge of the impossible. When he talks about, he's not talking about literal mountains. I mean, don't go, go out of here today and say, Brother Ken, tell that mountain to be removed. I said, there ain't no mountains in Wilson County. Or at least there aren't in Rutherford County. Uh, uh, he's not talking about real mountains. He's saying, listen, have such faith in God to realize he's in charge of the impossible. He can save the person it seems impossible to be saved. Amen? Amen. He can bring back that backslidden one it would, seems impossible they'll ever get right with God. They can stir up, fire up a church that's lost their appetite and lost their hunger. Some people will look at them and say it's impossible for that church to ever reach the pinnacle in the place they've been in the past. It says, no way my God is a God that majors in the impossible. And I believe he can take a mountain and move it. He can move those that he loves. Just I... That's what he's saying. Act in faith. Pray in faith. Therefore I said to you, what things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Pray in faith. Pray believing God's word. Calling on his wisdom. Pray, pray, pray. And what? remember this. I got a little phrase. You say, what it says, whatever you ask, he'll give it to you. That doesn't mean you go out and ask him for a Shetland pony and it's going to show up on your door this evening. Uh, you know, if you go in a restaurant and they say, uh, and you say to them, uh, I'll take whatever you suggest. Whatever you, th- you ever do that? What's good? You, do you ever do that? What's good? Well, whatever's best. Whatever other people get. 
I can't imagine going in and said, whatever's the best, whatever they get, that they bring me a bowl of grass. You know why? Because they don't serve grass. Grass ain't on the menu. When God says, whatever you ask, he, what he's saying is, whatever's on my menu, you can have. Right? Whatever's on my menu, whatever I have planned for you, whatever will turn out for your good, it's, if it's on my menu, you got it. Then he says, forgive in faith. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you trespasses. Is that the automatic route to getting anything from God, getting your prayers answered? Is to be forgiven? That's what he's saying. No, but he is saying that the lack of forgiveness will shortcut your prayer life. Short circuit, I'm sorry. Short circuit your prayer life. Be a forgiving person. Uh, I tell Diana every week, it's hard being an interim preacher because uh, I come in with a double-barrel shotgun loaded every Sunday, and I just can't ever get it all unloaded. Um, but, uh, um, but, you know, I want you to know my heart. We could become so easily like Israel that we're nothing but leaves, individually and as a church. And I want to challenge you. Say, God, make me hungry for genuine faith, genuine fruitfulness. I want to bear fruit that's real. I don't want to put on the show that'll fool the world, fool the church. Fool the preacher. I want genuine faith and fruitfulness that will honor the living God. Make me hungry once again for the fruits of righteousness. May God bring that to your life.